Welcome to your number one source of information on women's pelvic health. On this podcast, you will hear from medical experts, pelvic health professionals, holistic healers, and patients themselves in order to learn and understand everything there is to know about regaining and maintaining your pelvic health and becoming your own best advocate for your pelvic floor, the most vital part of our bodies as women. All of the conversations are intimate, raw, and unedited in order to deliver the most authentic information possible. I am so excited to finally be partnering with my new favorite company, Good Clean Love. Good Clean Love is a feminine hygiene product company made with love by women for women. What is so genius about this company is that not only are their products organic and non-toxic, which we know is so important, but each and every product is scientifically advanced formulated by Johns Hopkins scientists to biomatch the vaginal pH. The reason this is so important is because the vaginal pH needs to remain low in order for our vaginas to remain healthy. There are so many factors that can disrupt our vaginal pH that can raise the pH level, making us more susceptible to infections, to vaginal dryness, to pelvic pain. Some of these factors include semen. So when we have sex, semen raises our pH. Um, When we are stressed, our pH gets thrown out of balance. When we have our period, our pH gets thrown out of balance. When our hormones are disrupted, our pH gets thrown out of balance. When our pH gets thrown out of balance, we are more susceptible to yeast infections, bacterial vaginosis, to UTIs. This was a huge part of my problem. My My gut was was totally out of whack and my vaginal pH was totally out of whack. So I was getting so many vaginal infections, which was making my pelvic pain so much worse. Since I have found these products, I have not had one infection. And this is, I'm being so honest, these products have changed my life. Like I don't have fear anymore that I'm going to have sex and get an infection, that I'm going to work out and get an infection, that I'm going to do all of these normal day-to-day activities and get an infection. I have three Good Clean Love products that I use religiously. These three products are One, the Restore Moisturizing Vaginal Gel. This is a pH balance moisturizing gel that keeps your pH low, eliminates odor, relieves dryness and discomfort, and restores and promotes a healthy vaginal flora by mimicking the body's natural pH levels, salt balance, and lactic acid produced by healthy lactobacilli. I use this product religiously after I have sex and also just multiple times a week in order to make sure that my vaginal flora is healthy. The second product I use religiously are the Rebalance pH Balanced Feminine Wipes. So I put these in all of my bags and I use them after I work out. I use them after I've had a long day walking around the city and I just am sweaty and want to be careful, make sure that my vaginal flora is healthy. These wipes 
are obviously pH balanced. They are made with premium aloe and soothing botanical extracts. They are also biodegradable and they once again help promote a healthy vaginal ecosystem. Lastly, I use the BioNude Ultra Sensitive Personal Lubricant. This is an unflavored, unscented, and pH-balanced lubricant that, of course, mimics the natural feminine moisture to enhance pleasure and keep the vaginal pH low throughout sex. So this is so important because sex can disrupt the vaginal ecosystem. And for those of us who have sensitive vaginal ecosystems, this product can literally change our lives. It changed mine. So Good Clean Love offers so many products. They offer multiple different types of lubricants, oils, um, body wash. Oh my God, I forgot the body wash that I use every single day. How could I have forgot about that? It is Balanced Moisturizing Personal Wash. So that's the fourth product I use so religiously. And once again, that is gynecologist tested and recommended product that helps clean to refresh and eliminate odor while maintaining optimal vaginal pH levels. It is free of artificial fragrances, soaps, parabens, and gently cleanses, moisturizes, and balances the vagina. I want to thank Good Clean Love for creating this incredibly genius product line and for making me feel so good and so healthy that I can now share this information with all of you so that you can feel so good and so healthy. What I have to offer all the listeners is 10% off every single order, not just the first order, but every order you place on Good Clean Love's website, you will receive 10% off if you enter the code Hannah 10 at checkout. That's Hannah 10 H-A-N-N-A-H. One zero at checkout and the website is good g-o-o-d clean c-l-e-a-n love l-o-v-e dot com so please check out the website try out some products let me know what you think and I hope that they make you feel as good as they make me feel without further ado let's get into this week's episode Today, I'm here with Dr. Allison Tricande, a board-certified physical medicine and rehabilitation specialist. She is the chair of the Medical Education Committee for the International Pelvic Pain Society and is working with other experts in the field of chronic pain to develop training modules for residents and physicians interested in learning about the diagnosis, treatment, and management of chronic pelvic pain. A leading expert on pelvic health and a respected researcher, author, and lecturer, Dr. Shrikande is a recognized authority on male and female pelvic pain diagnoses and treatment. Dr. Shrikande is passionate about this cause and dedicated to helping men and women with pelvic pain who often suffer without anyone willing to listen, understand, or find the cause of their pain. That's why she has traveled the world to work with expert gynecologists, urologists, physiatrists, and interventional pain physicians. Dr. Shrikande has distilled this global expertise into a minimally invasive, cutting-edge approach to the treatment of pelvic pain and pelvic floor muscle dysfunction. With an extensive background in mainstream clinical medicine, she also makes use of many alternatives, holistic and homeopathic approaches. 
So I'm excited to interview you today and have you talk about the work that you do at Pelvic Rehabilitation Medicine and learn more about how you treat pelvic pain. Thank you, Hannah. I'm excited to be here. And for those of you who watched the Pelvic Health Summit, we did a lot of <laughs> interviews together in April. Co-host. <laughs> Co-host, yeah. So we're, we're interview buddies now. <laughs> um, so first, tell us how you got into this field. Yeah, sure. So I had my own problems really with my first pregnancy eight years ago. Um, during pregnancy, towards the end, I had significant sacroiliac joint pain and dysfunction with some pubic symphysis pain. And then after delivery, um, I really had some uh, issues with my pelvic floor and some pelvic pain, some pain with intercourse, um, a lot of constipation, a lot of urinary urgency and frequency, and also that constant sensation to urinate after um, giving birth. Um, so I was like, what is going on here? My OBGYN gave me clear checkup. It looks good, no problems. Um, but so I kind of sought help and I found this fantastic pelvic floor physical therapist who really, really helped get me back into shape and uh, in terms of being pain-free and improving my bladder and bowel function. And, and I was like, this is really cool and really just wanted to learn more about it and try and uh, improve the field. And so at the time you were in medical school i was a resident actually okay. i was resident at nyu mm -hmm. um final year resident about to be in attending when this happened right. just about to graduate and is that when you decided this is the field that you wanted to be in 100 yeah. i was like this is what i have to do i mean this is so such interesting uh, aspect of physiatry and um, really i'm passionate about um, women's health so mm -hmm. it's a perfect combination and it's interesting when you have your own experience, then you realize how big of a problem it is. Cause you start like other women start talking to you and then you start yeah. like seeing all these other women who have similar issues and. Totally, I mean, now um, it's great cause people feel comfortable telling me right. about everything. So, but people just, you know, normalize it and feel they can't talk about it. And um, I think uh, slowly we're increasing awareness and letting people know like, you know, it's out there, you're not alone, and you know what, there's actually things we can do to make you feel better. Right. Yeah. So, what led to you starting pelvic rehabilitation medicine? Yeah, I just saw the need. Um, people were really coming in from outside New York City, mm -hmm. from, um, really uh, all over the country, and I realized, wow, there's, you know, there's really a need here. Um, so I would really think we should get this out there and I can't treat everybody really uh, by myself right. as a sole practitioner. So I called two of my friends who I graduated with from residency. One was local here in New York City and the other was living in San Francisco at the time. And, you know, I told them what we were doing and they were super excited to join me. So I really was like, just really trained them on kind of the protocol that I had created over the years and how I was approaching pelvic pain patients. And um, now they're off and running and everyone's really having a good time. So Amazing. it's just growing like organically, which has been really fun. And I want you to talk about the growth in a minute, but first I want you to explain what pelvic rehabilitation medicine is and what you guys do here in your practice. 
Yeah, sure. So um, we're physiatrists or otherwise known as rehabilitation doctors. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we do is we, we treat the muscles, nerves, and joints of the pelvis. We focus on the pelvis. So it's really outpatient musculoskeletal medicine um, and the procedures we do are under ultrasound guidance. So we're really looking uh, at pelvic pain patients uh, as a whole, which is a little bit of a unique physiatry um, aspect because we're not really trained in only one organ system. We're really trained in looking at a patient and trying to connect Mm -hmm. all the different organ systems, which I think is why physiatry is um, a great specialty to quarterback pelvic pain given the complexity of it. And it's so important, I think, because, I mean, you you see this every day, but patients who have pelvic pain most of the time have lots of pain in other areas of their body as well. Definitely. Which is why it's so important to see someone like you who understands the connection between all of the parts of the body. Exactly. You're right. Yeah. And sometimes patients come to me, Dr. Shrikande, I have a diagnosis of fibromyalgia. Right. I'm told I have multiple chemical sensitivities and I have the migraines and I have bladder pain syndrome. And a lot of it we can explain under that realm of upregulation of the central nervous system. So sometimes calming that central nervous system down can really help patients overall feel better, even Mm -hmm. other than their pelvic pain. And... You know, I think that a lot of people don't understand how the work that you do can help so much with pelvic pain and endometriosis and vulvodynia. And I think that, you know, sometimes patients think like, oh, but I'll see a gynecologist. I'll see a urologist. And in fact, a gynecologist or urologist, we know if they don't specialize in pelvic pain, they're probably not going to be very helpful. So why, can you explain why what you do is so helpful for women and men with pelvic pain. Yeah, sure. Um, essentially, we are treating the muscles, nerves, and joints. Uh, really, what we're doing is we're detectives when we see patients. Mm-hmm. We're constantly trying to find the underlying primary pain generator that could be causing either your vulvodynia or your right. vaginismus or your lower abdominal pain. Um, so we're really trying to say, what is that underlying, what is the root cause? We're doing a root cause analysis, mm-hmm. and then we're working it up, either with if imaging may be required, and then we decide, you know, do we need to bring in a specific specialist to also help us? Um, so every woman we would treat would have a gynecologist on board right. as well. Um, so it's nice, we are working as a team, um, but we do bring a unique approach in that we are really um, helping I think to really be detectives, um, given that we can put all the organ systems together and not give sometimes 10 diagnoses, but try to connect the dots really well as physiatrists. And then when, what we're doing is we're treating those inflamed nerves. Mm-hmm. So we're treating those peripheral nerves that are inflamed and all that mus- muscle tension that irritates nerves right. that really cause the symptoms. Because a lot of the symptoms in pelvic pain with bowel, bladder, intercourse, pain during intercourse or soreness after or really come from that inflammation around the nerves. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to reverse that process of um, increasing blood flow, decreasing inflammation, opening up the pelvis. And with pelvic floor PT, we work really nicely together in treating. And then also, I, th- I think, diagnosing. Uh, where, you know, we, ha- we bring a, a different uh, perspective to the table. Um, that is usually fairly refreshing for patients after seeing many either gynecologists or urologists. Right. And what's so great also about what you guys do is that the doctors that you do refer out to 
are also specialists in pelvic yes. pain. So even if you're Definitely. referring someone to a urologist or a gynecologist or a cognitive behavioral therapist, mm-hmm. they all work with women and men who have pelvic pain so they actually understand what's going on as opposed to just your standard urologist who might not have an understanding. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I mean, our all our fields, physiatry, gynecology, urology, they're you know, they're fairly broad. Um, so it is nice you know, we bring it down to a small niche practice where we focus really on pelvic floor muscle dysfunction, pelvic pain, mm-hmm. and we work solely with other practitioners that also kind of understand and get it, get the complexities of, of the pelvic pain. And it's hard to find those doctors it on is. your own. It Most, is. You know. It's a challenge. There's like a million doctors <laughs> in New York. Yeah. How do you find the ones that specialize in, in the area that you need? Yeah, no, it's, it, it is. It's a challenge. So. Um, can you talk a little bit more about what the protocol that you use is, like what the injections and the central nervous system medications that you use? And Sure. You know, from kind of a brief summary from beginning to end of what the protocol would look like. Yeah, sure. Essentially, the protocol is an IRB-approved protocol under the Feinstein Medical Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, really, what happened was I, s- I took, I saw that it was working, and then I said, you know, we should probably study this since right. it's really, it seems to be helping. Let's really evaluate it. Um, and really, what we're doing is treating people who uh, fit pelvic floor physical therapy was just not enough. So that's always the first place to start We is pelvic floor PT. Mm-hmm. So we usually say uh, six to eight weeks of a good pelvic floor physical therapy program is the first place to start. And then if you, you know, say you got 50% better, but you want to be 100% better, that's when we, we could come in, oh, or maybe, you didn't yeah. improve at all, um, you know, that's when we really are, are we come in. And again, we still work with pelvic floor PT, so you see us once a week and them once a week. And what we're doing is really, um, we're breaking up that spasm, that muscle spasm. So patients with pelvic floor muscle dysfunction, their pelvic floor is short, spastic, and actually weaker. So it's really not supporting our hips or our back as much as, or our organs as much as we would like. So we're trying to reset that short, spastic, weak muscle spindle. Um, In addition to treating that myofascial tension and pain, we're also trying to treat that neurogenic inflammation or that inflammation around the nerves that really cause the nerves to fire inappropriately and cause these symptoms so of pain with intercourse or urinary urgency and sensitivity around the bladder. Um, So what we're doing is just really decreasing inflammation and increasing space through an ultrasound-guided injection. injection. So it's ultrasound-guided external um, injections. Uh, They're essentially nerve blocks, but it's nerve blocks with the hydrodissection technique, which is just a fancy term for we're just creating space so the nerve can flow. Mm -hmm. We like to say it's like Manhattan in there, and we want to make it more like the countryside. So we just want to create an environment where the nerve can have more blood flow and less inflammation, and then it can heal itself. Mm-hmm. So we can't heal the nerve, but what we do is create a better environment, and then we let the nerve heal itself, which is why it does take some time to get patients better, but, um, but, we, but we, you know, it's possible. Can you talk about that for a minute? Sure, um, yeah. Why it takes so, I don't wanna say so long, but it takes a while to heal pelvic pain. And, you know, there isn't a pill you can take. There isn't one injection you can get that will make it all go away. One doctor is probably not going to be the end-all, be-all. So how do you guide your patients through understanding that they need to let this be a process and they need to be patient and calm and know that 
they're not going to get better overnight, that they will get better, but not overnight. Right. I think that's like a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people who are in pain, myself included. When I heard that this was going to take at years ago when when my gynecologist told me she's like oh you're not good she's like you might feel a little bit better in six months and I was crying because I was like six months I'm gonna feel a little bit better like right yeah but it's true right for some people right um usually there's kind of twofold points one is by the time you have these symptoms of a lot of common symptom would be um either burning or pain with intercourse or a sensation of a UTI mm-hmm. without a UTI, by the time you get there, it was going on for quite some time prior. Right. That's really the key here. Um, mostly what we do would be hypertonic pelvic floor or spastic pelvic floor, which is kind of creating uh, decreasing space around your nerves. So that usually happens for six months to a year before your symptoms come, mm-hmm. right? It's like your body's hanging on, hanging on, and then you're, you're, you break down, and then you feel that UTI. Right. But it didn't necessarily happen right then for most people. So that's why it may take a bit of time to reverse that process that was probably going on for at least six months, if not longer. Right? Years in years. a lot of Normally people, it's sure. years. Um, so that's one reason. It's that by the time the symptom comes, unfortunately, the kind of the, that progression to that was going on for a long time. So it just, just takes a bit of time to get you better. Um, number two, um, I w- we're really trying to educate um, patients and practitioners about pelvic pain, mainly because I think the the hardest thing is to get people better is based on the chronicity. If you come to see us and you've only had pain for you know three to six months, your prognosis is much better mm. than if you come to see me after one to two years. Right. Then it's much harder for us to get you better. Not because of anything other than that, the, the symptoms were going on for so long that they become normal. They become actually imprinted in your nervous system. And, and the way your, your nervous system is firing, that becomes your new normal. So we really have to reset, retrain the nervous system, which just takes time. So ultimately, our goal is to just get people a lot earlier, and then we can really have a great chance of getting you better. Mm -hmm. So that's why we need to spread the word, talk to your friends and family, and let them know there is help out there. Don't wait two years before you tell somebody about the symptoms, because if you come earlier, the chances of getting better faster are much greater. And it's so, like, I see it in in so many women, and it's so unfortunate because even pelvic floor physical therapy, people are so hesitant to go, and they won't go until they're in horrible pain. And I always say, I'm like, even if you're just a little bit uncomfortable, just go because nip it in the butt. Completely agree. You know, don't let it get worse. You can wait until you're in horrible pain, but why would you do that? Like. Go. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Go early. Go early and often. Yeah. I completely agree, particularly, you know, any pain or any round um, pregnancy or post, like a postpartum, it's good to get, you know, get evaluated mm-hmm. postpartum by, and see how you're doing. What are the main conditions that women and men come to you with? Um, so the main would be anything in the sling of the pelvic floor. So we get a lot of lower abdominal uh, a bloating or discomfort, a lot of GI complaints. Um, we have a lot of 
uh, urinary complaints, mm-hmm. a lot of sensitivity of the bladder. It feels like a feather or a tickle in the bladder. I have to feels like I have to urinate or pee all the time. Um, so urgency, frequency, some burning with the bladder. Uh, a lot of our intercourse issues um, where it's discomfort or soreness with intercourse. It can be superficial, like a superficial entrance pain, or it can be a deep pain. So it's mm-hmm. kind of, it can be both. And very commonly, it's post-intercourse soreness. That's the problem. My intercourse is fine, but after intercourse, I feel really sore. Do people feel sore, like, immediately after, or is it the next day? You know, I hear both. both. Sometimes uh-huh. it's right away, last 24 or 48 hours. Sometimes it's delayed soreness where the next day, it's, um, they, they just don't feel great. Vaginal soreness? Um, everywhere. It's like a, a lower abdominal, vaginal, because oh, uh-huh. they could have a flare afterwards in their perineum or sometimes even in their bladder right. really what it is it's activation of the pudendal nerve and the muscles of the pelvic floor with intercourse right mm-hmm. and orgasm once you orgasm you're using that pudendal nerve and the muscles are and then it, and then the, those muscles and nerves are a bit inflamed so anything time you use something that has inflammation it can cause a bit of a flare or soreness right so it's fairly common post intercourse soreness is very common a lot of bowel stuff pain, discomfort or pain with bowel movement is part of what we call criteria for irritation of the pudendal nerve um, or a lot of chronic constipation a lot of my patients are like well that's me I've been constipated since I was a child like that's just me but that chronic constipation is the enemy of the pelvic floor so it kind of just over time it's repetitive microtrauma really where it just irritates the muscles of the pelvic floor and then the pudendal nerve so it doesn't happen fast this is usually a very slow process which is why if you do catch it early, we can kind of reverse it much better. Mm-hmm. And, and also pain with sitting. We get a lot of pain with sitting. Usually classic pelvic pain, it's worse with sitting. And our patients don't love airplane travel or um, just sitting at work. It's is like me, I hate airplane hard. travel. Yeah, one little, little tip is for the airplane travel, I usually say you take that neck pillow and oh, you can sit point. on it. That's smart. Yeah, so it seems to That's help our patients. It helps. It's just relieving the pressure around the pudendal nerve when you sit, but it's a, it's a nice little thing you can do on the plane. I'm like taking Valium. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or take the, take the Valium. <laughs> Valium suppositories. <laughs> Everyone gets extra for the plane ride. <laughs> um, and what conditions do you usually see in men? For men, mm-hmm. um, it's a similar. I mean, the anatomy, honestly, I started off, it said women's health So then when I first started. And, you know, men came. But really for us as physiatrists, the, the, the anatomy is, is the same. Similar, yeah, the but, same. So the same exact complaints. Um, no, nothing different. Exactly what women would get. Pain with erection, ejaculation, post-intercourse soreness. Testi- but it'd be pain in the testicles and penis versus vaginal or mm-hmm. vulvar pain, right? But very, very similar complaints. Um, very similar same if you had to explain your approach to medicine how would you explain it yeah i'd say um two things one for medicine for me it's 90 percent listening to the patient so just really listening to their story and trying to um, figure out the primary pain generator from their story so um tailoring it to the individual is important because a lot of what we do is quality of life so you have to tell us what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it's really, what, what would you like? And then we can try and help guide you what we're, to your goals, help you meet your goals. And number three, it's, it's a combination of really Eastern and Western medicine um, where I ref, we refer a lot to craniosacral work, acupuncture, Thai abdominal massage with essential oils. 
um, because for, for our patients, it really can help calm down the central nervous system and allows us to use less medications, mm-hmm. um, as well as I do feel um, things such as acupuncture and craniosacral, that connection between not only the different organ systems, but that fascial layers um, that can connect really is important in treating our patients rather than just looking at only the, vag- the vagina or only the uterus. You right. know, I like that interconnection and interplay. So we do use a combination of Eastern and Western medication, uh, um, medicine. And that's so great because you've, I mean, I found, and I think that this is probably pretty normal, is that a lot of Western medicine doctors don't incorporate Eastern medicine into their practice at all. So I think it, it's amazing that you guys do that and do emphasize the importance of acupuncture and herbs and craniosacral therapy and cognitive behavioral therapy and it's not that you don't you're not saying that that's going to fix everything but it can help a lot of people a hundred percent hundred percent i don't think it has to be kind of one versus the other i think it's best to take the the best from both worlds and use it i agree yeah and this is a question um that related to what we were talking about before but I want you to answer how many of your patients are men versus women, because I know that you do treat a lot of men as well. Um, I would say we have 60% females and 40% male. Male, yeah. Uh Yeah. And the reason I'm asking, of course I'm interested, but also I have gotten wind that there are some men that are listening to the podcast, which is great. So... I know that you're there, <laughs> and I, I am going to start incorporating more information about male pelvic Great. health Please into do. the podcast. That would be yeah. amazing, Hannah, I think I think it's really important. needed. Yeah. And a lot of the men come from husbands or, yeah. or you know, it's a lot of times they'll send their partner, you know, yeah. uh, honestly, um, because, you know, men sometimes need a little bit of a push. But Well, that's what I was about to say is that, there is, in a sense, almost more shame. Men have more shame than women do. As hard as it is for women to talk about having, you know, sexual health problems, I think it's even harder for men because there's even more of a stigma that men are supposed to kind of fit this image. Right. Being a man, that if something's not right, that's, like, really hard for them to come to terms with. Extremely difficult, right. Yeah, so... So PRM is expanding rapidly, it is. Um, which is really exciting and is making treatment much more accessible to people all throughout the country and the world who, I mean, you have people from all over the world who fly to New York to see you. And now your goal is to be able to get to them. Right. Yeah, yeah that's the goal. We're really excited. Um, currently, we are open in Coral Gables, Miami. Um, Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Englewood, New Jersey, Mm -hmm. um, as well as Long Island, New York. And then um, Michigan, Birmingham, Michigan, as well as Bethesda, Maryland, will be coming in the next two to three weeks um, at the same time. So we're really, really excited to bring the care that we have here in New York City to other patients and other cities um, and really work with the pelvic floor physical therapists there and the OBGYN communities and really hopefully um, get patients better earlier. That's the goal. So they don't have to suffer for many years or normalize their symptoms. Mm -hmm. Um, Just get them the care that that they uh, deserve. And is it hard to find 
specialists, like the doctors in all of these areas to treat the patients? Um, not, no, we are going to the you know, major MSAs. So there right. are uh, luckily um, people there who are interested in taking mm -hmm. care of pelvic pain patients. So um, no, we've been actually very, very happy with with kind of the team that we've been able to build. That's amazing. It's, as you know, that's our approach. It's always right. a team approach to getting people better. So yeah, it's been really great experience. And um, yeah, we're really, uh, really excited. It makes me very happy to hear that you guys are doing this and that people in all of these other places of the country will now have access to such great doctors. It's really hard to find specialists. And I mean, I feel fortunate that in New York, you could, you know, there's so many, and in LA, there's so many, but if you're in anywhere else in the country, there aren't. And right. it's hard, people can't just fly to California or New York to, to see a doctor. So it's amazing that you guys are doing this and bringing the doctors to them. Yeah, no, thanks. thanks. Yeah. yeah. Um, wh why do you think it takes patients with pelvic pain? I mean, kind of this is on the same topic, but why do you think it takes patients with pelvic pain so long to find the right help and to receive a proper diagnosis? And, you know, women and men are often going from doctor to doctor with no answers. Why do you think that is? Um, for a couple of reasons. Uh, for one, there's this complex interplay with pelvic pain between all the different organ systems in the pelvis, as well as uh, the peripheral and central nervous system and the muscles. Mm -hmm. So there's just a lot going on in one area. So I think that's one reason why there can be a delay in diagnosis. Another, when the pain is from the, the pelvic floor muscles, when they're in spasm and the, the nerves, the workup a lot of the time times is normal so you know you've had an upper and lower GI scope it could be normal your urine urine workup your urine analysis colonoscopy uh, uh, colposcopy as well as a cystoscopy will all be normal so it, a lot of times is a diagnosis of exclusion which in medicine is a challenge because nothing's showing up right, and right. so no one can really figure it out um, once in a while on MRI of the pelvis, either something called the MR neurography or and, uh, where you can show where some of the nerves are inflamed, or maybe you could find um, something underlying gynecological in women on MRIs, right, of the pelvis, um, which could be contributing to pelvic pain uh, or ultrasounds of the pelvis. But really, a lot of times the workup's normal, and I think that's why. It's, mm -hmm. Everything looks great. I'm not sure why you're in pain, and I think that's why at this point sometimes people come to us thinking it's in their head. Like, I was told it must be in my head, um, which is not, not true. It's just a lot of the things that can cause this, particularly pelvic floor muscle dysfunction, um, inflammation around in your nerves of your pelvis, um, don't show up on imaging or workup. Also, I think endometri the more I practice, the more I see um, the prevalence of endometriosis in the female population. Um, so I do think that's underdiagnosed, undertreated. You know, at this point, they're saying it's a 10 years before diagnosis is the average uh, wait time, which, you know, we really need to improve. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that is an issue where, again, endometriosis will cause a pelvic pain, but the workup that you have could be completely normal. But why don't you think that more doctors know to check for pelvic floor dysfunction and hypertonic pelvic floor muscles? Like, why do they send patients out for MRIs and 
all of the lab work comes back normal and then they're like, okay, you're fine. Like, why don't more doctors know to check for pelvic floor muscle, pelvic dysfunction. Floor muscle dysfunction? Well, it's kind of like the forgotten organ. I feel like it's almost an organ in and of itself, right? Um, and yeah, you know, I, I wish I could answer that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it's just in residency, we're, we're just not really trained to right. really look at that. And maybe because there's really no good way to look at it other than physical exam. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, you know, I, I don't know. I think we're trying to spread the word, and I think, really, physiatrists are a perfect group of people to, to treat the pelvic floor. Um, so I really think that we're a growing breed here of pelvic floor physiatrists who are, are going to get the word out there and really um, start helping people feel better sooner when it is their pelvic floor. Right. Mm-hmm. And I also always say that if, if a doctor tells you that they don't see anything wrong, but you feel that something's wrong, and I'm sure you would agree, it's so important to keep on searching for another doctor or another specialist, especially a pelvic pain specialist that will be able to actually give you real good answers because you know if something's wrong. Like, don't let someone tell you that it's in your head. It's obviously not in your head. You feel it in your body. Oh, 100%. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't tell you how many times, almost daily, I hear you know, women come in here and say, I've, you know, I've had pain with intercourse, but ever since, you know, I remember in my early 20s, and that's just, I thought was me, and, you know, everything, I thought that's just how it was supposed to be, and they just, and unfortunately, it's normalized, but really, you need, you should speak up and say, that, you know, this is not normal, and I really want to get to the bottom of why I'm, why I'm having this discomfort. You really do have to be your own advocate, definitely have to be your own advocate. Yeah. Why would patients have symptoms after endometriosis surgery and how does the work that you do help them? Because I think, I mean, I'm sure you hear this all the time that patients come in, they have excision surgery, they think that's going to take all their pain away and they still have pain. So why is that? Yeah, excellent question. So if you can um, think of it as that endometriosis prior to the surgery has been there for quite some time. Um, And when it's there, it can really cause pelvic floor muscle guarding because the pelvic floor muscles don't usually like the presence of endometriosis. So it goes into this guarding state where it gets into spasm, really a protective mode. And in addition, endometriosis itself is a pro-inflammatory disease. So that can contribute to inflammation around the surrounding pelvic nerves, right? So then you get this neurogenic inflammation um, or inflammatory soup, we like to describe it as. um, And that's been there for a while. Mm -hmm. So it is very important uh, to go in and remove that, as we call primary pain generator, which is endometriosis in this case, to properly remove it from the body, to reset that cycle. But just when it's removed, it still takes time, right? So once the excision happens, the muscles and nerves don't just automatically reset back to a normal state. So quite often, um, post-operatively, pelvic floor physical therapists and us, physiatrists who treat pelvic pain at PRM, will work to fix that. We'll work to decrease that inflammation around those nerves and release that muscle spasm. But the good news is the patients respond much better now that that endo is out of them because the endo is constantly fighting us, right? Mm-hmm. If we, we're decreasing the inflammation, increasing blood flow, but then the endo 
reverses it and spits back in more inf inflammation, et cetera. So once it's out, patients respond much better to our protocol um, and just release nicely. But it still does take some time and quite often some treatment, um, depending on the extent of the disease and also how long it was there before surgery are really the two, the two reasons why. And when you're treating patients with endo, you're using your protocol with yes. the injections mm -hmm. and yes. medication and right. So what what's we're like the main thing that you do to help with endo patients? Right. It's, so it is our the protocol that we do is um, with pelvic floor physical therapy. We're doing the external ultrasound guided injection series. Um, but what we use is uh, a little unique. We use lidocaine one percent, which mm -hmm. is an anesthetic to help desensitize these hyperactive active nerves that are firing when they should it. We also put an anti-inflammatory component with the lidocaine. We use a little bit of uh, steroid the first time on the right and the first time on the left for most people. But then we transition to something called uh, Tremil, which is a homeopathic plant-derived medicine, um, most arnica and some echinacea um, but it's plant derived and it starts to promote healing around these nerves um, so that is what we're doing and quite often we also use Valium suppositories at the same time at night before bed uh, the suppository form of Valium is very important because it goes right to the problem there is minimal systemic absorption there's still some but not nearly a pill we don't prescribe oral only the suppository form really because it needs to go right to where the problem is um, and we also sometimes have to use central nervous system neuromodulator medications if needed. Some patients need it, others don't. It really just depends on the patient, their, you know, whatever openness to trying them and how bad they really are. Um, often we also have patients uh, doing mindfulness meditation, which really does help. Um, there's a, a, a study going on now through the NIH called the uh, MAP study the multidisciplinary approach to pelvic pain. Someone just told me about this. And it may have been me, I don't Maybe. know. <laughs> but the idea behind it is just evaluating functional MRIs of the brain um, and how the brain actually changes with pelvic pain. Um, so there's real areas of the brain that light up with pelvic pain. So the idea is treating the brain with a mindfulness-based cognitive behavioral th uh, therapy program can really reset and rewire those signals that come from the brain to the pelvic floor, particularly the SMA territory of the brain is directly connected to the pelvic floor. Mm -hmm. So if that is lighting up on those functional MRIs, we need to have it stop, right? So we do need to kind of treat that connection as well. So almost, basically most everyone is either meditating on their own or we do have telemedicine uh, CBT in-house who uh, uh, Dr. Scrivani does pelvic pain only. Um, so she has a mindfulness CBT, some hypnosis as well to really reset that so a lot of people are doing that as well so that would be really the program and then it's once a week for six weeks we describe it as a trip around the pelvis we go alternate sides in each spot muscle wise is treated one time uh, only within the nerves um, we're repetitive we're desensitizing the pudendal nerve and the posterior femoral cutaneous when you're not seeing us we love when patients see acupuncturists after the protocol and the six weeks that you have off when you're going to PT, acupuncture can really help too. So some patients are doing that as well. Um, but that would be our standard protocol. And you see improvement in a lot of mm -hmm. these patients, We right? do, we do. It's, it's all about the pendulum, how, how much improvement, right? Um, you know, we recently got accepted um, to the uh, 
PM&R journal, the major PM&R That's journal, amazing. for studying our protocol for post-excision uh, surgery endometriosis patients. And the data that we collected, you know, 75% of uh, patients are showing uh, a, a improvement. Um, but really, a lot of times, it's can we get you all the way to zero? We really, really don't know. It's it's quite often how can we get you from a, a seven to a one or a two, or that's usually what it is, swinging the pendulum in a positive direction. Not always a zero. Sometimes a zero, though. Really, again, depends on the patient. Mm -hmm. and, how, and a lot of times, are you meditating and are right. you doing your breathing, which really does work, honestly. If you do all that stuff, that then you have a better a better chance. How do you instill the importance of meditation yeah. at home and breathing work at home to your patients because I think a lot of for a lot of people it's hard to take up these practices on their own it really is you and have I, to explain to people the how it really does work and oh, why it's so important hundred percent hundred percent so it's like even for me I try and do it and I don't do I don't meditate every day but I know I should it's like just a hard thing to sit down and commit to doing it it really is it really is and I, I i think the the key is i do we do try to explain the science behind it mm -hmm. honestly i'm i'm the worst patient myself <laughs> so it's hard you know i get it it's just really just finding time and honestly building it into your routine yeah. so most pe people do it right before bed or when they get up in the morning um that's really the best time to do it the other thing is you don't have to do it for long Right. You know, you could do a couple, like three minutes. Like mm -hmm. everyone has, I usually say you have three, three minutes. Three minutes, yeah. And sometimes I'll just start with the simple breathing and I'll have, I'll show them how to do it. And that's about 30 seconds. So most people will do that because 30 seconds. And then is, when they realize yeah. that they feel good. It starts slow. Yeah. Exactly. They, uh -huh. They'll progress to maybe spending more time doing it. Exactly. And then I think if you're just doing the breathing, but you want to do your mindfulness in a different way, so for you it could be dancing, it could be painting, because painting is mindfulness, right? Mm -hmm. So I've, I usually ask patients to find what they enjoy for that sort of thing. What do you like to do? And try and do it um, in combination with the breathing. Um, that's, what, that's usually what I would do. Amazing. And we were talking a little bit about this before we started recording but i want you to tell everyone about the rose study and when i when i had dr met on the podcast this was like a year ago yeah. now she spoke about it but that obviously was a year ago so yes. i don't I, I think that everyone needs a, a recap a refresher on what the rose study is and how they can sign up to be a participant because it's such important work Right, yes. So the Rose study is Research Outsmarts Endometriosis, and it's um, done under the Feinstein Medical Institute. Uh, uh, two uh, geneticists there, Dr. Gregerson and Dr. Metz, are leading the project, and then we are um, co-investigators on it at PRM. But really, what we're trying to do is help find a diagnosis for endometriosis. So clearly, we've outlined here, it's, you know, it, it's an issue in America with the prevalence of it, one in 10 or may, probably even more. And right um, now, the only way to diagnose it is surgery. through surgery. Through right. surgery. I mean, and I feel terrible now as a doctor sending because you a lot of times my patients look at me you know you promise i have it you know right. but no one can really promise i can't say we're, we're not right 100 percent of the mm -hmm. time but um but you know it is a big deal to go under surgery without knowing 
right? right? But that's where we are. That's where the state of it is right now. So we're trying to find a diagnosis by analyzing the biomarkers in the menstrual blood flow. So that, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to look at everyone's menstrual blood flow genetically and find out what's the difference between people who have endometriosis versus the people who don't. Like what biomarkers are there? So then we can just give patients a simple test. Mm-hmm. With, with When you have your period, here's a pad. Tell it, we'll analyze it and we can tell you. The, so the, what the Rose study is trying to create is this product where you can give a sample of your menstrual yes. blood and they'll, they'll be able to use that sample to test for endometriosis. Right, I wouldn't say product, it's really just um, a, a genetic blood test. Okay. That's all it is. It's a blood right. test from menstrual blood flow, not right, peripheral right. blood flow. Um, so the, the challenge at first with the study was the product. How do we collect this menstrual blood flow in patients with pelvic pain because you know no one really with pelvic pain loves inserting tampons or mm-hmm. inserting things so um, but currently our collection device that we're using um, is really just a pad it's basically you wear a pad overnight while you're menstruating so it's very simple pain-free everyone can do it mm-hmm. um, and then what you do is when if you sign up for the study a kit comes in the mail so everything's there for you the pad what you do with it directions afterwards um, so it's a little container and, a, and it's already pre-stamped so then you put it in the mail and it goes to the row study the geneticist to analyze it um, this is so cool it, and I, I, I think so too and it's just we're trying to really just get we just need numbers of patients to sign up and it can be controls too you can either know you have endometriosis there could be a suspicion before before surgery of endometriosis, or you could be a completely healthy control um, that we need people, participants from all areas. So basically every woman can participate in the ROSE. Right, um, and it's and important that you need the control. So yes. even if you don't have endo, exactly. you would be a great participant. Exactly, so um, we really are looking to really just get more patients signing up, and you do get a $50 card. So there is um, in the mail once you complete the study. How do patients sign up? Um, so uh, call Pelvic Rehabilitation Medicine, okay. uh, PRM. Um, call the, uh, uh, our number at 646-481-4998 and say you're interested in the ROSE study and that's it. And we will put you on the ROSE study. Amazing. I'm going to do it. I said this awesome. last year. Please do. So now You'd I feel so terrible happy. that I haven't. <laughs> I know. That's this is why we don't have patience. No, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to this weekend. I'm, I'm yes. calling up. Tomorrow I'm going to call up. Yeah. So I've been hearing a lot about this medication called LDN, which stands for low-dose naltrexone. Well, I've been hearing about it. I'm also on it. Um, And I'm curious to... I always... I feel like everyone explains it and every doctor explains it a little bit differently. And I don't know. I'm curious to have you... To hear how you explain it, what it does, and how it works in people who have chronic pain of any form. Sure. Um, yeah, so LDN is Like, new. I've heard it's a new up and coming. It's going to yes. be the next big it's drug. <laughs> it, yeah, it's newer. It's got low-dose naltrexone, right. right? And you get it from compounding pharmacies, which is unique as well. Not a typical pharmacy. It's compounding pharmacies that do it. The idea behind it is you take it at night before bed, between 3 a.m. Also, a. can I ask you, why is it, why at night? Because my psychiatrist said I could take it during the, in the morning. Technically, you take it before bed, and between 3 a.m. and 5 a.m., it's blocking the opioid receptors, so it's subsequently increasing the amount of enkephalins in your body. So, so I you should are, start you, taking it at night. Yeah, typically it's a nighttime dose because you want to block it in the middle of the night. Why? Because um, it has to do with your HPA access and your cortisol levels. 
Um, so just the way your cortisol levels go, right, day to night via the HPA axis, typically you get a better uh, efficacy taking it right before bed, blocking the opioid receptors between 3 to 5 a.m., and then that secondarily increases the amount of kephalins in your body. What's kephalin? Enkephalins are... Enkephalins? Enkephalins. Um, the idea behind those um, are so noradrenaline, serotonin, good things overall. Right, right, right. Things that can help decrease inflammation. That's the idea behind it. So it's not technically a pain med, but we do know, as we've discussed a lot today, there's a strong connection between pain and inflammation. Mm -hmm. But that's what it's doing, is overall decreasing inflammation. Um, one caveat, you cannot use LDN if you are, are on opioids, right? So anyone on opioids cannot be on LDN. Um, I, you know, I think it's still to be determined. Thus far, I, I, what I think is great about it, um, I haven't seen really very many side effects. It's very well tolerated, which I think is excellent. Um, and I, th I usually use it in my patient population, patients who have a lot of other auto underlying autoimmune issues. So um, I think it helps with that diffuse autoimmune, um, kind of decreasing inflammation, which may be involved in that whole pain process. Interesting. And, and have you seen positive results? Yeah, like, I still think it's to be determined. Right. I have... One, again, a good thing is I haven't seen any really side effects with mm -hmm. it. It's very subtle. Um, so I think it subtly helps. Yeah, I don't, I, but you know, it's, it's too to early. Yeah. It's very subtle. I find it very subtle. Not like you're taking some of the central nervous system neuromodulators where you, within a month or two, you really know and you feel, you it doesn't tell. Work that it's not way. like that. It's a lot more subtle, long-term play. Subtly, let's kind of decrease that inflammation and see if it helps your pain. Who do you prescribe it to? Like, what's the ideal patient that you would prescribe it yeah, to? Yeah, patients who have failed other things or are very sensitive to medications. That's so, kind of like me. Yeah, like they don't like the other SNRIs right. or tricyclic antidepressants or any of the membrane stabilizers. Don't They just won't even... They don't like them, how they make them feel, they're not helping, or it's usually side effects. Mm -hmm. That, or like, or mo mainly the patients also who have a lot of underlying autoimmune. I see a lot of connective tissue, Ehlers-Danlos concomitantly with pelvic pain, where you have this increased laxity in your joints, um, or you have just autoimmune hypothyroid issues. So multiple autoimmune. What is Ehlers-Danlos? Ehlers-Danlos is called, or EDS, it's where you have this laxity, ligamentous laxity, okay? So loosey-goosey, right? Like Hyper Hypermobile is I another word for it. And you are more, patients with I've never connected. been diagnosed with it, though. Yeah, it's a very challenging diagnosis, honestly, um, at this point. Uh, it is very challenging. So a lot of people haven't. But you get, uh, you're get you a little more predisposed to pelvic pain because you have this secondary spasm in your pelvic floor muscles to compensate for that ligamentous laxity, right? You're the muscles are trying to stabilize the pelvis because the ligaments are so loosey-goosey that the muscles work extra hard. So we see a lot of, bit of, a lot of laxity and EDS and connective tissue disorders in pelvic pain world but that is an autoimmune so sometimes patients so with that i'll put on I'll, I'll put on ldn so um so it how yeah how do you what do you do to ailer what how do you pronounce it ehlers danlos ehlers -Danlos. yeah so uh, what's like the treatment well, well more, it could be ldn or there's not uh, really it's more what we do it's more physical therapy right. it's managing it it's right. a lot of physical therapy or we do our protocol but it is a bit of a challenge i mean a challenge but yeah yeah some we do some stability belts mm -hmm. si joint belts um and a lot of a lot of times with 
patients who have hypermobility, you want to first release their pelvic floor, but then once we get them in a good spot after about six weeks, we want to do a proper neuromuscular re-education, which is the conceptually what we do with most all our patients. First down-regulate, create space, get your muscles and nerves better, less inflammation, longer, stronger. Then we follow up with this neuromuscular re-education where we get the muscles firing, right? firing around your hip joint, firing around your SI and pelvic floor mm -hmm. and really doing their job. And that's when patients start to feel better because they feel supported with, and also their, their nerves aren't being pulled anymore. Um, but yeah, that's usually what you do with the EDS patients. So Pilates is great for EDS. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. I'm doing some Pilates at private Pilates where I'm cool. doing PT for my hip and then I'm doing Pilates there as well. It's amazing. That's really the best thing for yeah. Because it's like stabilizing. It's stabilizing, exactly. They're, what they told me is that like a lot of my muscles, such as my glutes I'm and fine. my core, aren't working. So right. like my pelvis is overworking because my glutes and my core yep. aren't activating. Hundred percent. So we're learn. We're You're they're teaching me how to activate all of the other muscles so that my pelvic floor doesn't have to do all the work. Exactly. That's <laughs> exactly the theory behind all that we do. Yeah. Um, is really exactly there's a lot of compensatory mechanisms that happen when the pelvic floor is short spastic and weaker mm -hmm. everything around it is is fire is working it's really too hard. interesting actually mm -hmm. and even when i do like a spin class now i can actually feel that my glutes are working as opposed to like just my hamstrings i mean my sorry my your, your quads my quads my quads yeah yeah usually so, when i'm spinning i only feel my quads but now i actually feel my glutes and like when i'm cool. walking even or walking upstairs i feel my glutes activate, so I'm like, okay, I'm learning how to use all of the You're muscles. You're doing it. Yeah. I know. And it's really cool. It's, that's what yeah. we call it, neuromuscular re-education because it's finding that connection right. with the it's nerves really and the muscles, right? They have uh -huh. to connect. They have to work together and fire. You know what I'm saying? Because sometimes literally muscles just don't fire. Just don't, yeah. yeah. But you can train them to fire. Right. You just have to train them to fire. It's <laughs> yeah. really interesting. It is. It's really cool stuff. I know that you're working on a lot of research here at PRM. Yes. And you talked about it briefly before, but do you want to explain a little bit more about the research that you guys are currently doing? Yeah, I would love to. Um, yes, as I did note before, our, our endometriosis uh, paper for, for our protocol post-surgery was just accepted. Um, what we're doing also is research around alpha-2 macroglobulin, which is under the realm of regenerative medicine. Um, essentially, it's a, what we call a protease inhibitor that's in your blood. We draw your blood and we are centrifuging it down to the A2M. And we're putting the alpha-2 macroglobulin around the pudendal nerve, essentially, and the surrounding fascia to decrease inflammation. So a protease inhibitor is like a little Pac-Man that eats up all those pro-inflammatory cytokines. And it's a carrier protein and it carries them out of your body. So it's like a natural way to heal, or it's like a natural steroid that's right. in your blood. Um, so it's from you, and we're putting it around your pudendal nerve, particularly for patients who got 80% of better with our protocol, but we need a little more help. We sometimes follow up with some alpha-2 microglobin, and we're studying that. That's so interesting. Um, so yeah, so that's one thing we're looking at. Um, we're also looking at um, a we're a prehab prehab concept uh, I think is I'm trying to spread the word so in our world of rehab medicine prehab meaning prepare for surgery is common with with other surgeries knee surgery hip surgery a lot of times before you go in for a big knee surgery you'll do some prehab get it, get your knee better and better shape so that the surgery you'll bounce back faster from surgery right and I think that that concept applies 
to pelvic pain as well. So what we want to do is do look at prehab for endometriosis surgery. So se several gynecologists who treat endometriosis um, have sent to us before surgery because they say, you know what, I want you to kind of wrap your, our patients in a nice bow for surgery. Get their muscles and nerves less inflamed and also longer and stronger before we go in and operate so that the patients don't flare. It makes so sense. Yeah, and we're seeing that postoperatively, there's much less need for pain meds, either opioids or even other pain medications because wow. we're, we're really kind of preparing them for surgery. Um, so we were, we're doing a study on the prehab concept with endometriosis patients, treating them before surgery. That's really um, interesting. Yeah, so that's, that's one great study that we're doing. Um, and we're, we're uh, also doing some uh, studies on the male population with um, abacterial prostatitis and or UCPPS, urological chronic pelvic pain syndrome, mm -hmm. with our protocol. If you had to give one piece of advice to women and men with pelvic pain, what would it be? Listen to your body, uh, be your own advocate, uh, try not to normalize any symptoms and remember that you're important and you matter. So um, get your answers that you deserve. I think that's very important. And um, if people are, you know, if women and men and women are struggling to find the right care, what's the direction that they should take in order to find a specialist, whether they live in New York or or not. Yeah, there's some resources. So um, International Pelvic Pain Society, uh, which I am involved with, has a wonderful website with patient resources. Um, also, the uh, EFA, or Endometriosis Foundation of America, is excellent um, for resources. Pelvic Guru, uh, Tracy Schur, Pelvic Guru, is excellent for resources. Um, as well as the Pelvic Health Summit that Pelvic Rehabilitation Medicine did. Uh, it's on YouTube, so check it out. It's on the Pelvic Health Summit is, I think, fantastic for additional resources for patients. Um, also, there's the IC, or Interstitial Cystitis Society, that's excellent. Pudendal Neuralgia Association is also excellent. Um, yeah, there's, there's, there is resources out there. Um, for, and Nancy's for Nook. Nancy's Nook, yeah. Nancy's Nook is excellent, yeah. Thank you. So I have one listener question. Um, this woman has a question for you. So she wants me to ask you, um, why do none of the pelvic pain specialists take insurance and why is a first appointment so expensive she put $1,200 in parentheses. And I think that this is, that's actually a really good question because I know a lot of women have this question, why are these doctors expensive and, and inaccessible? Why is it? Yeah, I, th I think the answer at this point is the amount of time that is required to treat this complex issue uh, just takes longer than a standard uh, new patient consult. Um, so that, that is why, really, for physiatrists and outpatient medicine, our typical would be knee pain or back pain, which usually you can uh, understand faster, really, in about at least half the time, really understand what's going on with the knee or the back. But the, but the pelvis, given the complexity and crosstalk with organs, other organ systems, et cetera, it really does just take more time to really get to the bottom of, of the puzzle. And, now, and that is why 
uh, I think a lot of pelvic pain practitioners are out of network because they are taking a lot of time. Mm-hmm. In my experience with seeing doctors, I feel very fortunate that I've been able to see doctors who don't take insurance, but I've, I mean, this is what we were talking about before also, but I've, you know, the doctors that I see, like years ago when I really, really wasn't feeling well, my gynecologist spent over, well over two hours with me. And that's, she, we needed all of that time. Like it took me so long to explain to her all of my history and for her to explain to me what she thought was going on and what we were going to do. You know, it wasn't, we couldn't have accomplished that in in a 20 minute visit. But on that note, it's very clear that this is not something that is accessible to most people in the country and the world. Is there kind of a way we could put this in a positive light? Well, you guys, by expanding, are trying to make it more accessible. And I think that in the future, more doctors and specialists will will be educated and be able to treat pelvic pain better, I think. I agree. Do you see it going there as well? I do see it going there. And, you know, that is the the ultimate goal is really to just get the care, the multidisciplinary care to pelvic pain patients, uh, to more patients across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that we'll have to figure out how to do that. I mean, right. we don't, I don't think we have the roadmap Answer, right now, yeah. but we're determined to get there. And um, so that, that is the plan. Amazing. And I think that's it. Thank you. How can everyone contact you? Sure. Well, pelvic rehabilitation medicine is on Instagram. On Instagram, yeah. yeah. And that's the name of the clinic. And that's the name of it. It's pelvic rehabilitation medicine. That's the name of our clinics. Um, so you can Google us or look us up on Instagram, um, and uh, or call. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here and for sharing all of this information. I can't believe that it's taken us a year to record this episode (laughs) it's been fun thanks yeah yeah i'm happy that we were able to do this and for everyone listening thank you for tuning in please share your thoughts comments questions about this episode or any other episode at info at the women's pelvic health podcast.com i would love to hear from you and as always please rate and review the podcast in the itunes store i wish all of you health healing and happiness and Hannah, I want to yeah. thank you for all the work you're doing in this you're field. So sweet. Like, it's really amazing, oh, really amazing stuff. Thank and you. Um, we're all super grateful to you. Oh, that's so nice. Thank you. Yeah. I really appreciate it. You guys yeah. are amazing too. <laughs> I'm happy to be here and be connected with you guys. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna make change together. Make change. <laughs>